Welcome to the Drynet podcast series, Good Food for a Better Normal. With visionary experts from around the world, we will be exploring some of the most pressing environmental challenges that relate to life on land and the people who use the land to produce food. The COVID crisis has brought the fault lines of modern food systems into sharp focus and exposed the most vulnerable to great hardship. In the circle of life, every natural process produces what is needed for the next stage of life, and nothing is wasted. Indeed, waste and pollution are indicators of system failure, and in nature they lead to adjustments such as extinction events. This podcast series shines a light on the complex systems that sustain life on the planet and put food on our tables, challenges some of our preconceptions, and gives clear pointers to how we can do better to leave a positive legacy to future generations. We hope you enjoy listening. If you find the podcast worthwhile, share the link with your colleagues, your friends, and your family. Today we'll be speaking to Professor Patrick Caron. Patrick is a fascinating man. He started his career as a veterinary doctor and then became a geographic researcher focused on the analysis of the role of agriculture and livestock in rural transformations. He subsequently served on the, as chair of the high-level panel of experts of the UN Committee on Food Security and Nutrition. He is focused on the combination of processes and actions at different scales from household to international levels that underpin changes at the territorial level. Patrick is going to talk to us about the global food system and the weaknesses in the system and how these have impacted on people globally. And he'll be exploring pathways towards a more food secure world in which people can meet the full range of their basic human needs. Well, uh, good morning. I was initially trained as a, a veterinary um, because I was very motivated to become so. And after practicing and after also discovering uh, other realities in the world, I feel like uh, my main passion and motivation was to try to understand farmers' practices in different contexts and, and progressively to relate them to what means development, what means sustainability, what means the future of the world. So my trajectory has been motivated by such background and moving away from life sciences to human sciences, in particular to geography, in order to try to relate what I could observe at the local level with what are the main targets and transformation of the world at all levels, national, regional, or global levels. And uh, then because of my wish to understand, I was all time long very highly motivated by bringing together knowledge and action. So involving myself in science in order to 
produce knowledge on controversial areas or ideas or initiatives, but to make sure that there was always an interface with action, with transformation, with policy making. All my career was based on that. It was in a research institutions, highly motivated by transformation and action and trying to relate and to link local with global processes. Thank you, Patrick. That's uh, very, very inspiring to hear, I must say. I'd love, love it if you could tell us a little bit about your perspectives on what's happening in the world at the moment as regards the COVID pandemic and its impacts on food security in different parts of the world, including your, your area in France, but also the many parts of the world that you're familiar with. The two direct impacts uh, and, uh, and consequences of the pandemics, apart from the fact that the pandemics itself somehow relates to food systems and the way we produce and, and consume food, is number one, the fact that the most vulnerable people are the ones who are affected by what is happening. In particular, the ones who will be hit in the coming months and years by the huge economic crisis that will result from uh, what has happened in 2020. A lot of people in very different parts of the world, uh, their employment has disappeared, economic and social shock. We can foresee without any doubt that a lot of persons will suffer from the different forms of malnutrition because of the economic and social crisis that will come. But um, this this uh, will affect more specifically the most vulnerable people and the ones who already are in very difficult situation in terms of food security. That's number one. The number two consequences, so this is quite easy to understand and to foresee. The second one is maybe less obvious and much more paradoxical. For years and years, we advocated and we looked at local food systems as a way to somehow address or compensate state and market failures uh, uh, in terms of uh, what was happening. And somehow local food systems was looked at as a way to renew with sustainability of food systems, to reinvent the solidarity, the proximity, the healthy capacity of food. We worked quite a lot in very different part of the world towards a relocalization or re-territorialization of food systems, having in mind somehow that this was synonymous from sustainability to reinvent this uh, proximity and uh, local capacity to provision food, to consume more healthy, as I said, more environmental friendly and and uh, and socially friendly 
But somehow, when this uh, pandemic crisis hit, what we feared in many parts of the world was the risk of disruption of major food commodity chains and the, the, the risk of generating starvation and impossibility to provision food to the places that were needed. And somehow we realized with something which has not been decided but imposed, the confinement and the locking, that maintaining and organizing value chains and commodity chains at the national and international levels are also very important. Of course, we have to review completely to bring on board sustainability, probably to review the way trade is organized. What can be one of the main lessons of the pandemic is the challenge to look at the right balance between local, national and global processes and to try to bring more sustainability in all of them to make sure they can align. And somehow this is a paradoxical lesson of the, of the pandemic. We cannot move away from globalization at the moment. We much more have to think about what are the conditions and the pathways to generate a sustainable globalization that builds upon local, territorial and national processes. So that, that are the two uh, lessons that I can, or lessons or consequences. More generally about the pandemic, uh, what is very probably at stake now, it's uh, the, the confirmation that both globalization and food systems are at the heart of general sustainability, of global sustainability, of both the humanity and the planet. And that we have to completely review and transform our food system, not only to ensure food security, but also to address all sorts of sustainability goals. Health, this is obvious with the way the pandemic developed, but also social justice, peace and uh, stability, because we might see this as a dramatic outcome of the crisis in the future. Employment, uh, um, uh, climate change, environment concerns, they, these all can be brought together in an a nexus where the transformation of food systems can, if we take it seriously, can act as a very strong and powerful lever to address sustainability. And this, as I said previously, at all levels, locally, nationally, and globally. So it's not only a pandemic, it's a systemic crisis that we have to face. And food systems can be considered not only as the one who generated the problem, but under some conditions as the one who might be a, a pivotal condition to look at sustainability. 
Thank you, Patrick. Your background, someone with a veterinarian training, a geographer, and as a former chair of the high-level panel of experts on food security, puts you in quite a unique position to, to reflect upon what kind of transformations do you believe might be appropriate and necessary or even essential in the production of, of animal products for humans, given that COVID is a zoonotic disease and zoonotic diseases are, are the primary threat to human health on the planet. There is a huge de discussion, debate, contestation about uh, uh, about animal products. You're, you're right uh, to point out for that, uh, not only because it today uh, involves and implies most of the a suitable area for agriculture and, and, and agricultural production in the broad sense of it, but also for other ethical reasons or for health reasons with somehow it was taboo some 20 years ago, but now there is an increasing acknowledgement that we consume probably too much of animal source products in the in in some countries in the world while obviously for security food security reason we do not consume enough in other parts of the world and particularly in most of the uh, sub-saharan african countries there is a, a huge movement particularly in uh, oecd most advanced countries about uh, we should reduce our consumption of uh, animal source products because of climate change, because of environment footprint, because of health footprints of our modes of consumption. And, and in the same time, there is uh, quite and logically some resistance because if you look at figures that were produced in the HLP report on animal source products in uh, some uh, some years ago. Uh, a, a livestock is an activity that provides resources and income to 600 million people on the planet. That means that 10% of the planet lives in one way or another uh, from livestock uh, Production. So uh, this is also an economic activity uh, for most of the people and in some regions for quite a lot of vulnerable and, 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 and poor people. So uh, we are faced with the huge dilemma on, on the one hand, consuming less in some countries, consuming more in other countries for all the reasons I, I, I looked at and in the same moment to uh, ensure the livelihood of millions and millions of people who live from this uh, activity. So the equation is quite complex and very different from one place to another one. That's the number one condition. We cannot make a general statement apart from ethical and religious reasons for some people, but for other reasons, we cannot make a general statement. It has to be uh, looked at in very different ways from one place to another, while in the same time, it, uh, it, it, uh, it 
uh, is also a global concern and a global uh, a global challenge. Uh, so bringing it even more complex to align what's happening locally with what's happening globally. Uh, but when when looking at solution for that, my um, main example, the, the, the example I prefer when I discuss with uh, livestock keepers, for example, in, in France, which happens sometimes, uh, is... I take the example of wine. I know wine is also familiar to to, to South Africa. Uh, in in some 30, 40 years ago, we used to consume a lot of low quality wine in all regions of France, with impact on the health, uh, with uh, a, a lot of. Uh, of, of consequence for, for health, as I just said. And, and then we've seen in some, mainly some 30 years ago or 40 years ago, in particular when France was no longer able to blend wine produced in metropolitan part of France with wine coming from Algeria in North Africa. We, we, we shift incredibly towards high-quality wine. And, and this shift was going together with a consumption which was decreasing in volume, improving in quality, while in the same time most of the producers were able to make even a better living out of their production. So that's exactly what, what I, 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 the, the challenge now is how to move towards a better livestock production patterns, which in the same time combine health requirements, environmental footprints uh, uh, requirements, including the positive aspect of animal production, and sometimes it's a fundamental uh, driver of fertility maintenance, and we should not forget about that. And and together with the the better livelihood of livestock farmers, so this is the the way forward to review completely livestock production patterns by taking into account the need for livestock keepers or for animal keepers to live decently out of this activity while taking on board environmental and climatic concerns and reviewing the consumption patterns so that this contributes both to uh, address undernutrition, if so, or to address obesity and uh, and uh, and uh, overconsumption concerns, concerns, if so, uh, and reviewing that equation at each local and national level through adapted policies, without not without forgetting that this is also a global concern.
Patrick, I, I am really pleased that you've explored this question of quality versus quantity of consumption. And I, I, I guess it would be a fair assumption that uh, many of the more artisanal producers of animal products, the, uh, the pastoralists in continents like Africa, are producing uh, products that are healthier and of a better a better quality for consumption than products coming out of highly industrialized um, factory farm setups. I was also interested in in what you had to say about the uh, the contribution of livestock to maintaining fertility, and I wondered if you had any thoughts on the role of livestock in other ecosystem services, such as maintaining the uh, the biodiversity of rangelands. Yes, well, I'm not a specialist of that, but it's now strongly uh, acknowledge that livestock under some conditions of course can be a, a very strong driver of both fertility and biodiversity management and this can contribute to uh, to a lot to uh, to to maintaining the biodiversity patrick i think we see the challenges and you've given us a very good overview of what they might be um, in terms of pathways towards transformation that are achievable in different parts of the world. Uh, what do you see on the horizon as being feasible and achievable as a way to move towards these transformations? Uh, this is easy to say that it's very different from one place to another one. Should be adapted to local context, to the configuration of stakeholders. Uh, so when I say local context, I have in mind natural resources, the type of climate, of soil, of uh, vegetal resources, of, uh, but also the political and social context and economic context uh, of each locality. So the best way to address those concerns is to be able to design through collective intelligence and agreement some way forward at the territorial level. Uh, territorial understood as a, a space that is managed by a group of persons which do not necessarily agree on everything, but at least agree on the need to have a common project for the future. Well, this is very probably, I've, I've been in my works advocating for the role of territory uh, uh, and because I see this is the only way to address sustainability concerns that to design through this local collective intelligence a way forward that everyone can find his or her role and place in. This requires governance, this requires transformation, this requires innovation, this requires social capital. But in, in the same time, this is not enough. Uh, and we cannot look at the future of the world as separate programs and plans for each of the local, locality or terri territory in the world in each uh, part of the world. We also need some national political framework to uh, address competitivity, to set up standards and norms. We 
discuss the issue of quality, for example. This could be done through national legislation that uh, is possible to direct resources to the more vulnerable localities, regions, not only to address social justice, but also to ensure the consistency of development at the national level, to ensure the stability, to ensure peace, to ensure democracy. And we also need some transformation at the global level uh, to make sure that sorts, frameworks, norms, organization of issues that have to be organized at the global level, like trade, for example, uh, address sustainability concerns in terms of social justice, peace, stability, environment, uh, climate change. Uh, what we have to look at is the right alignment between local and territorial process, national frameworks and policies, and global frameworks to make sure as a humanity and the planet, we move towards the right direction. This is very difficult. And we see with the weakening of multilateralism at the moment, because of some countries, how difficult it is to align national and global process, even more when we discuss about local ones. And, and then from a political angle and political perspective, uh, it's very important that decisions and movements that are taken at one level can serve as a strong drivers at other levels. It could, this could be bottom-up of top-down. For example, how a global framework makes it possible to impulse some local changes. Or, on the contrary, how local innovation makes it possible to use it as an example to transform the global frameworks. So our main challenge for the future will be to connect the way to address sustainable sustainability concerns at local, national, and global levels through an appropriate political engineering. Patrick, I think you've, you've brilliantly pointed out the complexity, but also the possibilities inherent in, in, in a global system, a system in which people on the planet recognize that we share one, one space in the universe with, with one finite set of resources. And uh, I, I appreciate the way you've described the necessity of, of having sound national and global frameworks and at the same time devolution of certain responsibilities to the local level where there can be these, these more bottom-up governance processes in place. And I think it's, it's interesting to reflect that this weakening of multilateralism that you've referred to is a, is a huge threat to us all. And in, in democracies in the world, of course, it comes down to every single individual voter to, uh, to make their choices as far as that's concerned. If you could propose one thing that could be done, one step, a specific and finite step that could be done to enhance global food security at this point, if you had the power, <laughs> what would that be? Well, I would then make sure 
if I had the power, which I don't have, I would make sure that at all levels there are spaces for designing common projects built on collective intelligence. That is bringing all views together, not looking for consensus. This is just not possible, but building upon what we all disagree with, building an agreement for living together in the future. So this arena, strengthening the capacity of such arenas to design food systems for the future, beginning with territorial level, whether rural or urban or or mixed, and, and then building upon that to organize a dialogue at national level on the required transformation of food systems. Patrick, thank you so much for sharing your insights and your wisdom with us. Um, we, we hugely appreciate it. And uh, with that, I'd like to say, um, I hope you can still enjoy your vacation, your holiday, <laughs> that you've given up so generously some of your time for us. Oh, absolutely, no problem. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Noel. for listening to this episode of the Drynet podcast series, Good Food for a Better Normal. We hope that you've found the inspiration to reinvent the ways in which we care for the land and produce, distribute and consume food. Open your mind, reflect, learn, connect and make the changes. If you'd like to listen to more episodes in this series, search for the Drynet podcast wherever you download your podcasts.